Hey everybody, I'm actually going to be foregoing the sponsors this week to uh, kind of give you a heads up on this episode. The quality is not the greatest, and for that I do apologize. Um, this is actually a fault on my end. And uh, just to give you a heads up, I have not been with it mentally this week. Uh, I actually found out that my family had a very, very serious health scare. So that, unfortunately, has taken up quite a bit of my time and making sure that I'm there for my wife and making sure I'm there for my family to make sure everything's going on. With that said, uh, do not hold anything against the guys at Massive Awesome. Hopefully you don't hold anything against his, us here at Skirmish Supremacy. It's just uh, with everything that's been going on, the episode sound quality did not come off the greatest. And uh, if you want to know more about Massive Awesome, uh, check out the links on our webpage. They're going to have everything there. And I can guarantee you Simon and John will be on the show at a later date. These guys are amazing Totally awesome, guys, and I look forward to doing many more podcast episodes with them. So again, guys, I apologize for the sound. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. everybody welcome back to another episode of skimmer supremacy we are here today with john and simon from massive awesome how are you guys doing today yeah it really well thank you very much i was on the step i am great cheers guys excellent excellent yeah so just to give everybody a heads up we have been uh talking to these guys a little bit before we started this podcast and uh some of us are halfway into about three or four drinks while others of us <laughs> How this is going to turn out, but what the hell, we're going for it anyway. It's going to be fun, I think. The the magic of the midnight recording. (laughs) So, just to give everybody out there a little bit of a taste, I'm sure everybody out there has been checking out on Kickstarter. Most skirmish games are now being done on Kickstarter. They have a Kickstarter going on right now for a game called Shattered Earth. So, it is a pseudo post apocalyptic, I'd say, real kind of real-world scenario from what I've seen with uh, some magic and other dimensions coming in. So guys, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, and you know, if my description is wrong, please correct me and feel free to draw me the other part. That description is pretty spot on, to be honest. It's, um, yeah, we, we call it the, the post-apocalyptic war game of uh, wondrous technology and existential horror. So there's a few different things going on there. The key thing for us really is that this isn't your typical post-apocalyptic setting. Um, we wanted to move away from the, like post-apocalyptic games normally have one of two different settings. Either it's an radiated wasteland, a la Fallout, or it's a, you know, desert like Mad Max. Um, and that's really, that's really, you know, the kind of the, the subtitle of, of most creative development in the post-apocalyptic genre. So we started looking at what would a real post-apocalyptic scenario look like. You know, how would that pan out? And we actually started developing this game, um, well, well over a year ago now. Uh, looking at the, you know, the kind of the, the, the background of the world and before we even knew what sort of game it was going to be, really. And that's, that's kind of how it grew. We knew we wanted to create something that was, I mean, you touched on it in the description when you said it's got this realistic feel. Uh, we wanted to create something that felt authentic, uh, that felt like something tangible that like could exist theoretically. Uh, and that was the starting point, really. And then, of course, we added lots of other crazy stuff to it on top, and uh, and that's what that's that's what makes happy there, really. Because the, the the universe of the game contains basically the, the the kind of IP of, of our universe is you know the, the way that the the, the tectonic plates plates shift uh, incredibly slowly over time, but over the course of kind of hundreds of millions of years, the the continents completely change, and, and, and the world looks different. Um, we've based uh, between around about 2025 and 2045, um, we've had the equivalent of 100 million years worth of change. So the the geography of the world has completely changed, which has created new continents, new supercontinents, and that's one of the main drivers for the factions of the game is their, their new geographical location. Um, and then part of the reason that that's happened is we've 
got this uh, sort of way of a breach between the real world and the, the immaterial, um, the world of dreams and nightmares, and we don't, well, the, the players in the game don't fully understand exactly how that's happened, but that one of the factions, four of the five factions available are human, and one is the deathless. They are immaterial, um, based on kind of myths from real human legend, and there, from that point, if you can imagine a world where we've had a hundred million years of the tectonic shift very quickly, and monsters have turned up, then everything else is as realistic as possible. Like, so we look at the politics of how people would deal with that, and who would side with who, and why they wouldn't. Because it's only set you know, slightly in our future, most of the weaponry is slightly ahead of what the weaponry is that we have today. But we haven't, you know, we're not set thousands of years into the future, so we don't have kind of, you know, warp drives and things like that. Right, yeah, I was kind of noticing that when I was looking through the Kickstarter. Um, a lot of the, the guns seem like they're based from anything that would be probably about, I don't know, 10 to 20 years from now. Even some of your mech designs, uh, very similar to things that I know that the military has been working with nowadays, but it's just kind of left that prototype phase and gone into more of like battle testing. Yeah, we did a bit of research into kind of the, the weaponry that is being looked at uh, in a kind of experimental phase and phased that in as well as uh, you know, sort of the very sort of bleeding edge of what is around today. Because although it is set, you know, the world has the world has broken, and then we've set the game about twenty, thirty years after that. So people aren't wandering around, you know, looking for food. You know, there is a semblance of normality. Cities have formed. You know, new countries and parliaments have formed. Um, so they have had time to look at weaponry, but they haven't been working on it solidly for the kind of fifty years because they've had, you know, a lot of shit going on. Um, but there has been, you know, uh, you know, you know, in times of war and in times of strife, that's when scientific uh, experimentation gets more money from the government. So there has been a move onward, uh, but it's we're trying to keep it to a kind of realistic level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's down to the authenticity. I think, from our point of view, good storytelling and good world building should have one foot in reality. Because I think people, there's this, um, I used to work in the black, I still do work in the, the video games industry, that's my, I guess my day job, if you like. Um, and one of the, the things from, that I brought across from the games industry is this idea of um, the rule of thirds, which is where if you're going to create something new, uh, you should always look at making a third of it exactly the same as something else. A third of it better than something else, so you take an existing idea or an existing design and improve upon it. And then a third of it completely different. And the, the theory behind that is that if you give people too much difference, you give them too much unique, it actually puts people off as counterproductive. But by the same token, if you give people something that's too familiar to stuff that they've already seen before, they're just going to switch off because they've already got a game or they've already got, you know, artwork that looks like that. So you're looking to try and get people to feel like there is a connection with your universe, but there are things in it that they understand and relate to. And then the big, bad, scary stuff is big, bad, and scary, and actually more effective because they've got a more accurate frame of reference. And that's, we, we keep coming back to that with our world building. It's become, it's been a very important thing for us. Yeah, okay, cool. So, I've been kind of taking through the, the uh, Kickstarter page a little bit. Um, and how many factions do you guys have? We have five factions, um, and as John said before, four of them are human factions, um, and then the fifth one is the, are these creatures from the interior. And these are the factions that we've, uh, we've revealed so far, if you like. These are in the, 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 the Kickstarter is called Shattered Earth Emergence, and Emergence is kind of the first chapter, if you like. Um, and all of these factions are, um, from the Northern Hemisphere, and there are, there are specific reasons for that, which we'll, I, I suppose we can get into a little bit later. Um, but essentially, the four human factions are, you know, as John was alluded to, we extrapolated the sort of geopolitical climate and looked at where where the continents would move to, where the, the new borders would be drawn, and therefore what peoples might collaborate together and what new governments and, and, and factions would form out of that. Um, so we have uh, the United Nations of Mankind, who are uh, essentially most of North America, and also most of, uh, sort of continental Russia, 
Um, because, of, again, because of the movement of the tectonic plates, those two continents are actually kind of colliding around the point of, uh, into the Andreanor Islands. Um, and so there was a, and we kind of, we talked a little bit more about the backstory, but there are political reasons why these two factions were aligned, but there's also geographical reasons and economic reasons why they were aligned. Um, there's also the, what was the European Socialist Galactic, obviously the majority of Europe, uh, they have now become the humanist rebellion. Um, they were at once kind of tied into the UN, um, but kind of there was a political disagreement, if you like, about the way forward, and so they, they distanced themselves and become now an out and out rebellion. Um, the other two uh, human factions, we have the uh, Children of the One True God, which came about from a, a discussion John and I were having about what would happen to religion after the apocalypse, because Essentially, there's, there's not really any holy book that deals with that situation because, well, nobody's meant to survive it. And how there are people now across that sudden they're on the earth that have survived it. So, for a person of faith, what does this mean? And I think rather fortuitously for us, we discovered that the Arabic faith itself would actually separate and become an island given a huge sequence of cataclysmic events, which gave us a really great sort of focal point for this faction. And actually, the Arabic faith, you've got Jerusalem sat right at the tip of it, the northern tip of it. So again, that's the reality kind of bleeding into the, the fiction, if you like, um, and driving our, our, our storytelling. Um, and then the fourth human faction, after the strangest by far, they're, they're known as the Cult of the Dragon. And they are, they formed from uh, most of uh, what was East Asia, um, a lot of the East Asian islands, uh, became the uh, an archipelago, essentially, and, and formed the, the um, Pacific Archipelago. And they've been served by this this cult, essentially, uh, built around this enigmatic man called Lee Kyung Min, uh, who's a, a former Korean pop star entertainer turned cult leader. Um, so, he, obviously, we've got quite a lot of variety in, uh, in those factions to begin with. And then we throw in the Deathless, who are this very strange esoteric faction from the interior. And hopefully, we've got a little bit of something there for everybody, regardless of you know what your preferences are in Wargaming. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the things I noticed as I was kind of paging through this a little bit, so, your Cult of the Dragon, I found to be a little bit unique, because it looks like uh, the, the cult leader, forgive me if I forget his name, um, he is actually in a partnership with uh, the Norse Dragon Warmer. Yeah. So, basically, all of the, uh, all of the kind of the death and sort of immateria, um, characters. So we've got maybe three or four who are in the game at the moment, and we've written the next half a dozen, and obviously it, it could go off on ad infinitum, but they're all based on actual figures. So Jormungandr was a, a kind of, a, I think he was the son of Loki, he was, uh, and he's a, he's, a, he's a god who is was celebrated in the Nordic area. And then we, we talk about other different gods and monsters from human myth and human legend. And part of the game is now we've got these breaches between the real world and the immateria, they're, you know, we're bleeding into their world and they're bleeding into our world. And, you know, did we create them by dreaming about them or did we always dream about them and worship them because they were always there is one of the questions that we want to sort of have the game asked. And in our game, all of the, the, the breaches have uh, immaterial kind of gods and monsters coming into our world, except the one human who has ever gone into the immaterial and survived and come back was Lee Kyung Min. And there's a long piece of fiction on the um, on I think one of the updates that anyone, anyone can go and read a couple thousand words where we try to show off some you know what would be in the rule book, which explains you know what happened to him. But effectively, he you know he looked around for these different types of things to worship. He was very interested in the, the immaterial, very interested in the arcade, and uh, he felt drawn to this part of the world. And hence, because he ended up in uh, sort of near to Sweden, when he went through this breach, that's why he found Jormungandr. And without dragging the story on too long, Jormungandr has used him to manifest himself in the real world, and he has used Jormungandr to get powers way above the normal human and there is a kind of uneasy alliance between the two. So on the tabletop you might play him as human or you might play him as demon. Or if you have both models and choose to, there is a 
stat card which changes and depending on dice rolls and what happens on any given turn, he may flip from one to the other because he is effectively both. Nice. He's in a way a kind of a morph character. You could start him off as mm. form, and then halfway through it you could be like, you know what, to heck this isn't working, I'm gonna go into my I guess uh, demigod form. Uh, I guess you don't have full control over the change. You can try and influence it by the amount of by what is happening in that given scenario, but you, to fully reflect um, the relationship between the two characters, you don't get to say, oh, this turn I want to be young or this turn I want to be young and you can try and influence it. And that kind of leads into the way that we try to create the whole game in that, you know, we've written the rules and we've written the backstory and we've created the art so it all balances with each other. So one of us will come in with an idea and then if it just fits, the art and the story will will mould around the rules to make sure it fits. But if the art kind of doesn't quite fit, but we really like the art, we might then change the story, or we might even in some cases change the rules to reflect that, because we want all three sections, like the way the game plays, the way the game looks, um, uh, to, to, to balance each other, you know? Yeah, there's actually something I just briefly want to pick up on with that. There's the Leaf character itself, the actual military we created, was the first military we made. The first one we had sculpted and the first one we had prototype. And he's a, he, he was designed as a limited edition miniature, essentially, and he, he is in fact a limited edition miniature. But rather than, one of the things we wanted to try and do, again, dying back into what John was just saying, rather than have these just, uh, collect this piece of you and we believe our miniatures are, you know, high quality and good enough to just be bought as pieces to paint by the people that are interested in that sort of thing. Um, but, but we didn't want it to stop there. So, we, you know, as John said, if you have the Lee Kong in miniature, even though it's a kind of special edition, a limited edition, there are rules for the game, and there is also that additional stat card that also changes the way you're on the plays as well, they interact. So there's a, you know, there's a reason to, to, to own him, and there's a reason to have him above and beyond just the beautiful miniature itself, really. Um, and that was kind of, again, that's part of our philosophy of making everything connect and we kind of join the dots if you like. Okay. Okay, cool. So I'm going to ask this as a devil's advocate question because I know that there's going to be people out there hearing that. They're going to wonder if I can't get my hands on a limited edition figure, can I still use the standard edition of Lee Kyung Min and have him turn into the Gormagat? Well, there's, there's two sets of profile cards, basically. Um, so essentially, in the uh, the kind of I suppose what we can do, we can get a little, I guess a little bit into the call of the dragon here. So as, as John said, you know, these are Meteor Men that have bound themselves to this Norse god. There are two other um, main characters within the Call of the Dragon that we haven't revealed yet. They're not part of the Wave 1 releases, they're the later releases. But both of those are also based on uh, gods from, um, from the sort of myth and folklore, if you like. And the, the, there is this kind of triumvirate, if you like. So the Call of the Dragon is essentially based on the, the theory of chaos count. The, the sort of the, the struggle, the motif, the struggle against chaos. And, um, you know, Jorngang is obviously one of the most sort of prevalent gods, but you also have things like, um, Leviathan or Tiamat. So anytime there's a certain god or a chaotic god, it's, you know, it's, it's prevalent throughout all, all sort of folklore. And so those are the main characters that you like in the Cult of the Dragon, uh, faction, at least on the tabletop. But Lee Gongbin himself is, is such an important character within the storyline. And given his backstory, we wanted to at least produce something on the tabletop uh, that represented him. So he's he's kind of he's not a uh, a thing that we really they 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 uh, with the kind, kind of theme and narrative. So, so I think, think that, that's really, really kind of the so, so I think the people that have it's an anaphobos rather than an anaphobos. Yeah, because I, I mean, I can tell you this just from years and years and years of games. A lot of people that care so much about the imbalance nowadays that, uh, when they hear limited edition figure that does this cool stuff, but they can't get a hold of them without doing some special thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not like some 
immediately broken game mechanic or something like that is always good for people to hear. It's like, okay, so if I get this figure, you might do this slightly differently past that. The game is the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you do the PMD to work with the military on the painting ticket, but it isn't, you know, you're a fantastic player or you want one of those fun or stock or half that out. Which is the reason why we do your own calendar, the feeling that we're all certainly self-starting and not being aware of it. There's a couple of ways that I'm going to be aware around. The more powerful one is the available star set, and we'll always be aware of it. I guess we haven't fully decided exactly what one of these means, whether it means we're going to go to Mana Maybe available for us or something not retail, retail, but um, you know, you know those models may have not like I've only made a video and then they're being out. You won't be part of the standard starter set. Gotcha. Okay. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. Cool. So you guys have talked a little bit factions, and you, you touched a couple times upon like rules and mechanics. Why don't you let us tell us? In, how does the game play? What are the mechanics behind Shatterdust? Well, Shatterdust kind of, I, I guess, unique in skirmish games in a sense that it's. So, so we set out with two goals in mind when we started creating the rule set for this. One was that it had to be fun and accessible to play, in that the rules felt that you didn't have you could play the game from the sat card essentially. You didn't have to keep consulting the rule You know, there's no look at tables in the game. There's no complicated mathematics. It's you know, everything works on the tabletop. And, and actually, you know, other than the first sort of 15 minutes of playing the game, where you're actually getting your head around things, after that, you are literally just going to play the game from the sat cards. You can never be logical. Everything makes sense. sense. The game uses keyboard based system so that um, you know, you, you, when you see one one rule written in one place, place, it means the same as it is when it's written somewhere else. Like, there's no unique. Um, you know, very specific rules for every single miniature. Of course, the miniatures have their own special rules, but there's a whole raft of general rules that everybody has access to. Um, so again, you know, if you're familiar with things like, uh, like War Machine Course, for example, that uses a similar keyword-based system, um, you know, you, you, you'll get this right off the bat. So that was, that, was, that was one of the things that we wanted to address. The other side of it was that we wanted to have a enough depth to the game that people felt they could explore kind of tactically, um, you know, the, the depth of the system, if you like, so that there are multiple options available to you. Um, a bit like, I, I would say it isn't quite as combo heavy as something like Wall Street, but there is opportunity for you to set things up and see the payoff, you know, one or two turns down the line. Um, and actually, you use a, a thermal activation, so you're not, it's not an I go, you go system. There's always that. You know, I have the I have something, then you go ahead and activate something, then it's back to me. So play passing back and forth quite regularly. So there's no just kind of sitting on your hands or twiddling your thumbs or, you know, using your phone or whatever. Um, that, that you, you constantly feel like you're involved in the action. So they're, they're the two kind of key drivers behind the rule set. Um, I guess from a system point of view, the thing most people probably might not be used to, unless they play a lot of historical games, certainly a lot of major games at least, is, uh, the games in bicycles. And, which is, which is quite different to, I don't think there are any of the skirmish games that use bicycles. Um, and this was me, this was my game type hat on, my, my kind of, my background in the game industry really. So looking at just the pure maths behind the system when I first started developing it. Um, and it's, it's D10 based, so it's a base 10 system, massively straightforward. Um, it uses a fixed target number. So, um, you know, you don't have to perform any maths during the game itself. All you're ever going to do for any modifiers is either add dice to or subtract dice from your pool. That's it. So, if you get a plus two bonus, you add two dice to your pool. If you get a minus three modifier, you can take three dice away. That's it. So that target will always stay the same. Um, it's, if anybody's played Shadow on the RPG, it's, it's a very similar system to that. It says that you're just looking for hits on your dice. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you get to roll a nice, healthy handful of dice, but most of our, 
minutes of even the kind of basics of the troopers if you like, you'd be rolling 10 miles most of the time. And um, 10d10 is, is a very satisfying way to dice to be rolling. Um, some of the big threes. Yeah, it is, it's definitely. And I think when we first released the, the alpha rules, we had a few people that were quite surprised by that. Because I think people were expecting to let four or five dice really. But no, I mean, this is a dice pool game based game, so you know, you want, you want nice healthy pools. And also, the maths parts have been nice here. Your average pool size is 10, and it's a D10 based game. There's a really nice predictable curve there that you can work with. So, you know, not only is it fun to play from an aesthetic point of view, because you know, everybody likes one count on the dice, right? Um, you know, the maths work really well. As well, so yeah, it's it's a it's one of those games that that when when it clicks with you, there is a lot of freedom and there is a lot of um you know there's a lot of opportunity for you as a player to explore the rules. So you should never feel restricted in the game. If there's something you want to do, chances are there is a rule that supports you doing that, and it's a pretty simple rule. Um, so yeah, it's a I would urge people, you know, the alpha rules are available on our Kickstarter page, so by all means grab them. Um, we've, re- we've now released, as of today, we've released all of the Wave 1 faction profiles, so every miniature that's available on the Kickstarter has the alpha rules available to download. Um, the rules will forever be free, they will always be available to download on our website, even when we, we are producing physical rule books. Um, we, we, you know, we want to keep a low barrier to entry and, and really kind of grow a community around this game, so, I always like grab them, join our Facebook playtesting group, and, and please give us your feedback. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that, uh, especially when a smaller company is doing that. I, I've noticed that uh, about the different things I've done in the industry, that uh, there's a lot of times that the smaller companies are almost afraid of people knowing the rules for free, which I think is sometimes a detriment. Um, you know, there's a lot of times to where they, they feel that the people are paying for the rules, and a lot of times that's it's almost backwards from what they're doing, unless they're a game similar to Frostgrave, where, you know, in Frostgrave, you have more of that. You have, you're paying for the rules. So, yeah. you know, especially since you guys have beautiful miniatures, and you, ultimately the business is going to come with miniatures, having the rules out there for free, not that big of a deal, which is great. Yeah. We're really, we're, we're really trying to go for this. Um, I mean, the ultimate end of the game is that there are, you know, there are three types of gamers. There are people that love fluff, that love to get, you know, knee deep in the Black Library and read, you know, 50 novels about, you know, all the heresy and stuff. And then there are guys that love that kind of high end, really detailed sort of resin miniatures or that, that, that are in the game for the modeling and the painting. And then there are guys that want to play the game, aren't too fussed about the other areas and just want a nice streamlined game that plays well and is interesting and has lots of task options. And we realised, you know, we could concentrate on one or two and let the other slide and, and it would be less work and cost less money to develop. And we, you know, we got to an age where we thought, you know, if we're going to do it, we really maybe bite enough more than we can chew at one end, but we wanted to do all three. So we're trying to appeal to, you know, if, if people want to buy miniatures just to paint and think these are really beautiful miniatures, you know, they should look at the minis. Because it's, and things like your gather, I think I was... And, you know, we shouldn't say so ourselves, but I, I think it's as good as anything I've seen at least in a long time. And then, you know, we've also got a massive amount of backstory, you know, from a kind of a political level, a, a, a macro world level down to a micro level of some of the characters. And we can, uh, you, you can really get involved in the, in the, in the universe of the game, whether you want to do it from a kind of a, a what country versus country basis or, a, you know, come with a kind of skirmish character versus character, you know, we've got you covered there and we've got lots of fiction coming. And then the actual rules of the game, you know, Sai's talked about it, you know, he's been in games now for 15 years, so it's uh, the way that we do that is basically I'm less of a tabletop room and more of a kind of card game or board game. So we're making it as crunchy as, as possible that I can still play this game. So, uh, you know, we're going for all three, and maybe, maybe we're maybe we're aiming higher though. But we want to, we want to appeal to all three of those types of games. And because I, you know, it's Simon and myself fit into those. Simon's the rules and a mini sky. I'm a kind of backstory and a mini sky. And we want a game that we both want to play. Nice, nice. So you kind of met in the middle on that team type of game itself. Yeah, yeah. It takes more time to do. It takes more money to do. But you know. We figure we may only get the chance to do this once with the amount of money we've invested into it. So we don't really, we don't really want to compromise on anything. You know, 
we keep looking at, you know, we could, we could go with this sculpture or this sculpture or this cast or this cast or this artist. And every time you sort of look at it, well, it's probably worth the extra money, isn't it? And we always feel it has been worth the extra money. Um, or, you know, the extra effort, the extra time, but neither of us wanted to put all this time and effort in and, you know, save a little bit of time and effort. I think it wasn't quite as good as we could have made it. We'd rather just really nail it for, you know, for a few years and see where it takes us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a long-term proposition for us. You know, this isn't a, um, it's not a one-off Kickstarter where we're going to release a bunch of stuff and then you never get hear from us again. And that's something really obviously tragic happens to us, but, um, I'm not going to So that's, <laughs> so, you know, the, the aim for us is to keep growing this game. Like, it, it, it may be, you know, slow and steady to begin with while we ramp up momentum because both myself and John have, you know, we have full-time jobs. The game doesn't pay our salaries yet. In fact, it's barely going to pay back. It will I mean, the, the truth is it will not pay back our initial investment. Yeah, that's, and we, we are comfortable with that. We knew that that was going to be the case. But that's, that's kind of the commitment, basically, from us that we are here for the long haul. We do want to make a successful business, but we're not going to cut corners and we're not going to compromise to get there. We're going to do things the right way because it's standard. Stud is in good stead over the last 12 months. It's Stud is in good stead when we funded in the first few days of hitting Kickstarter from a completely new company that nobody had heard of until a few weeks before it, for the most part. So, you know, all of this is, is kind of proving to us that we are on the right path. And so we need to stay true to that path and we need to stay true to our initial goals. Hopefully, that will see us right. And we, we've been lucky in that, you know, we've known each other 25 years and we've talked about working together a long time. We've been part of the same, you know, role-playing group, gaming group for all that time. And having come to it, you know, both of us pushing forward, you know, we've got, you know, established careers. We, we, ha- we are in a position where we are kind of able to financially, you know, do this and do it properly, which, you know, maybe if we'd done it a couple of years, years ago, we would have been desperate to take as much profit out of Kickstarter as soon as possible. Uh, now, you know, we can in some ways afford to see this play out, see the game grow organically over, you know, two, three, four years uh, without, you know, without needing to take any money out of the company. Like everything we get at Kickstarter goes straight into sculpt and arts for the new figures. And it goes straight into the production of the rule book. Like, we're not making a penny out of it. Gotcha. So, Without like spoiling too much, what do you guys have planned for the future? You guys have been talking a lot about past Kickstarter, which is great. I mean, any miniatures gamer out there is going to want to know that's awesome. What's next? So, are you able to talk about that a little bit and kind of let everybody know what you have planned for the future? Do you know, what you guys play, be it um, you know store any, any type of like store deals, anything along those lines, things that you might tweak a little bit from the Kickstarter going to make it with anything coming. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the first things I think we realised when we went to Kickstarter. And despite all the preparation that we've done, we hadn't quite realised how reticent some people were to invest in high quality resin miniatures. Um, simply because John and I are never hesitant to invest in high quality resin miniatures. Uh, happy with us about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the detriment of our bank balances. Um, but, you know, not everyone's like that. And I think the, the good thing from us at this time, despite the fact that we have, an, I mean, we have an absolutely awesome community that, like, we, I have been utterly blown away, well, both of us have been blown away by the commitment from the community, just the support that they've shown us. Um, and really the, the kind of boldness to commit to two guys that, you know, this, this is the first time we've done anything like this. We may be experienced in other industries, but we, we know we're not. You know, we're not a couple of, you know, a bunch of kids that are trying to, you know, do this with our pocket money. We, you know, we do think we know what we're doing. But to have these people kind of invest in us uh, has been really humbling. Um, but by the same token, I think we realise that there are, for every backer that we get that wants the high quality resin, there's probably four or five that would be much happier, be much happier with a, a sort of slightly cheaper, you know, metal product, if you like. So, certainly one of the things, the things that we're going to look at for um, an, an eventual retail release is to move the range into metal. But again, like everything that we've done so far, we're not going to rush it. Um, it would have been easy for us, I think, to get some prototypes done uh, during the Kickstarter itself. Um, in fact, we actually talked about it. I've, I've got some contacts within the sort of casting industry that I was chatting to to see if we could get some some metal prototypes made. But it ultimately decided 
and what we didn't want to do was that we didn't want to
that that's at the end of the day, you know, you could companies can have a bit of a delay or maybe the detail on one of the models looks a bit off. I mean, not in our case, luckily yet. Um, but there are all sorts of little problems that companies can have, or they maybe they don't communicate enough. But the thing that will kill people is if they don't deliver and they don't tell people why. And if you deliver your product on time and it is as it said on the tip, you know that that's the ultimate. That's what we'll be judged on. And we want to bite off as much as we can chew, so that when we say we will deliver the product, level, they get it, and it's exactly as they as they saw the photos. Uh, and if we, you know, as you said, if we try and deliver way too much, we'll probably we might end up getting delayed, or there might be other problems down the line. So I think by the end of this year, if we've had a successful Kickstarter, we've fulfilled every pledge. The guys like what they've got; that they're playing it, they're enjoying the game. That will lead to success. Like we're not planning for how to expand. We're planning for how to create a game that people like playing. They like the minis, they like the story, and they want more of it. And because they want more, we produce more. And you know, the demand grows as the game grows, rather than one outstripping the other. Right, which is a good way to look at it. I mean, the the biggest thing that I try to promote the most on this podcast is the fact that there's so many guys out there that are passionate about their games, and that is enough to get them moving forward. That's enough. Even if they never really break into it doing it full time, doing it, you know, it's like their it's like their main source of income. The fact that they even have a handful of people that are extremely passionate about it is enough to keep them focused. So yeah. I see where you're coming from with that. You want to make sure that you are putting out a quality product and people that already have it want to keep it going, which is really yeah. Well, we, I, I talked to, um, I spoke to a couple of the guys at, um, GCT Studios, the guys at Google Shido. And like, all of, all of those guys, I mean, they're a prime example, all of those guys have full-time jobs, yet they continually put out a great product. They grow the game, like, it didn't, doesn't just disappear after the first few releases. You know, there's constant new ways of adventures, new rules, you know, they put out a board game not that long ago. And for them, it, it kind of, it's a combination of, it scratches that itch, it gives you, a creative outlet to kind of put your, your mad thoughts like onto the tabletop, but it also means that they're committed to to supporting and growing that game, even though they all work full time. Um, and you know, don't get me wrong, but myself and John, from our point of view, we would like this to be a full time concern. Um, you know, as with, as with our art, it, I should it would be remiss of me actually if I don't mention our art because they're the, the made actually too. There's a lot more to this technically. Yeah, one of the guys that stuck with us right from the beginning is a guy called uh, Igor Bielinski, who um, he, you, you may know from the time that um, Dark, Dark Age was responsible for Core Faction in Dark Age. Um, and he's done a, a huge amount of concept art for us. He's responsible for a lot of our graphic design and our kind of creative output as well. So, um, you know, and, and we'll add to that the, the army of concept artists and schools that we've got. That's not an army. I don't know. Let's, let's say a small skirmish force. Skirmish. Um, yeah. A small skirmish force of artists, concept uh, you know, like sculptors, casters, the you know, production partners, everybody else. So there is, there's more going on behind the scenes than just myself, uh, John. Um, and that's really, you know, from what, sort of, I guess, dialing back into what John was saying before, the reason why we feel, we, we hope we are going to be able to deliver on this, we're confident we can deliver on is because we've partnered with really experienced people. Yeah? The people that know exactly what they're doing and have the same philosophy as us and the same outlook as us, and we can just, Pull together and create a great product. Um, there's no kind of second guessing each other. There's no, you know, ex- having to explain things two, three times. Like we just, everybody is so bought into this universe and this game that we're creating now that things just happen and things get done. Um, and that, you know, for myself and John, from our point of view, were, you know, we're putting our money up for this. Actually, now, you know, a few months back, we've also put their money up for it as well. There, there is that, there should be that confidence there because. You know, we're, we're dealing with people that you know, live and breathe this stuff as much as we do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a, that's a great thing, too. So, you know, I, I think one of the other things that we talked about as well, just to kind of get that moving hands up, is the fact that you guys didn't just approach us as a team of two. You, you went into this with a plan to expand. So, it, so as far as that goes, you know, the, the freelance artists you brought on, the freelance authors you brought on, you really reached for something a little bit more than just, I'm going to sculpt this myself in my face. You went out of your way to find like, world-class sculptors, world-class artists that worked on your projects in order to help bring your vision to life, which is a good thing. Yeah. 
That's yeah, for sure, and that that's why we have to invest so much of our own time and, and money up front. Really, you know, we could have, we didn't have to do that, but we wanted to. And as John said, you know, right at the beginning, if we're only going to get one shot of this, and we might only get one shot of this, why not make it the best that it can be? So um, you know, I'm pretty. Like, I'm pretty that it's the same reason why all four of us are often in trouble with our wives and many of our listeners are in trouble with their other halves because you you know, you could proxy that figure or you could buy the special resin extra thing to make it just right, or you could use the games workshop figure for your thirty K army, or you could get a Forge World special edition. Like you often find yourself spending a bit more to make it just so and just right. And we found ourselves, to, you know, we we kind of we we had an original budget, and we we're not blown through it, but we've hugely exceeded it because whenever it came to a kind of compromise point, we were like, well, we can stay within budget, or we could just push the boat out and get this guy who's got this great experience and look at what he can do, look at what this person can do. We've always thought, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's put a bit more in and go for the best. Um, but it means. I mean, as we said before, you know, we're, look, we're in a position where we are, you know, we're not financially dependent on the success of this. I mean, we can't afford to throw, you know, tens of thousands of dollars down the pan, but we are able to, when we have a choice between the better or the, the almost as good, we, we're able to go for the better. And, you know, not just the quality of the sculpts and the art is what speaks for the people we work with, but it makes the whole process easier as well. When you're working with really experienced people, you learn from them, as well as getting a good product in the end. You, as Sai said, you don't have to explain things to people because they know how to work, they know what you need. It goes quicker, it goes more smoothly. The whole thing's been like, I mean, just a pleasure working with these absolute industry legends, you know, these guys that have produced such amazing work for other companies. Um, just, to, just to work with them, you know, nothing comes from this. It's just been, it's been an amazing, you know, uh, ride, you know, doing this. Yeah, you're you're working with guys that you want to look up to. In a way, you're paying a premium to save your head, which I told you. Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. And to get some amazing stuff as well. Let's let's, let's not <laughs> let's not be around for it. I know we do definitely sound quite up our own backside. Like it has to be said. But if if anyone is listening and, and thinks who who the hell are these guys, go and look at the Jorgenkamp sculpts. And then admit that you know we're great. That sounded really past the middle. Like that's it's, 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 better in your head than it did. Like, <laughs> yeah, that sounded better in, our, in my head. We'll go look at the young guys. It's, it's good. We should we should point out this one. This is that is entirely down to ego and concept art and sets incredible sculpting. Um, like nothing, nothing to do with John and like. I mean, we came up with the idea. We told the amazing artists what to do, and then they they did it. There's a yeah, they were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't have to go back like numerous times saying, "Oh, we need to fix this." Oh, they pretty much just came up with something and went, "Holy shit, that's exactly what." We found we had a re- we've had a really good process with, with most of our guys. We have Slack channel, so you know, Cyanide uh, with the with the artist and sculptor that which is usually four of us will um, will come up with an artist brief. So Cyanide will chat. I'll write a, a kind of a one pager, uh, which is more than you really need, but we figure we can use this later on as well. So it'll have a bit of history about the character. Um, it'll explain physically what we are envisaging and also, you know, uh, how old they are, where they're from, what side they're on, what they're, you know, a few things about their character. Because we figured, you know, if we were an artist, we'd want to know about it. We wouldn't just want someone to say, make him six foot three, big arms and a gun, you know. We're like, this is where he's come from. This is what drives it. So every character we've done, we created that. We gave it to the artist, and, and in most cases, they came back with you know, half the sketches. We picked a couple, like you know, the, the arms from this guy, the head from this guy, put them together, changed the, the angles and stuff. And then we had a few iterations until all of us would agree. And we wouldn't be saying, you must do this. You know, the artist, in many cases, would come up with ideas that we haven't come up with. And then, we'll, as we said before, we might change the rules or the background story to fit in with a really great artistic idea, or vice versa. Like all three would feed up each other. Um, and once we have that final kind of concept, we all agree on, they would kind of turn that into a, a piece of key art, and then we'd start the process again with the sculptor. 
uh, it would you know take that key piece of art, all the information and the conversation we had, and then you know we'll talk about the positioning, you know exactly what can change, what needs bulking out because you know it won't sculpt well. And this is what you, when you pay for good sculpting like Seth, you know he'll look at the art, say that's great, but those fingers won't mould in, in resin, you know they'll snap. And that's you know if you hire some sort of cheap kid straight out of art college, you won't know that they'll sculpt something that will then break when you cast it. Um, so you know. Well, everyone involved deserves equal uh, praise. Uh, well, I said the artists and sculptors deserve more than us because they did, you know, hard work. But it really <laughs> was, you know, it really, for me because you know I've worked in IT management, project management for fifteen years, so I'm I'm not used to this artistic process, and it it was way more collaborative than I had expected, and that is how I want to work going forward. Everyone I want to work with, I want them to come and experience and give us their ideas, take our ideas. Uh, back them backwards and forwards and all feel that we're all invested in it rather than just here's our concept do what we say yeah, well sometimes that's uh that's the best way to work especially uh, you guys both still have your full-time day jobs you can't devote 100 percent of your time to shit so i told you yeah. you want to make sure you have the team in place that's going to be able to go out of their way to satisfy doing exactly what you're doing so that's the I mean, that's the I'm just going to say that how, you know, everybody's kind of on the same path, really. And, and the people, you know, the core team has been there really since the beginning. This is this is our baby, right? This is the thing that we've created together. And we all want to see it succeed. See it succeed. We all want to see it grow. And despite the fact that we all have day jobs, this is, it's that little bit of kind of relief at the end of the day where you get to go and do you know, something, something different, something where you can put the ideas in your head directly into practice. And so, you know, you've got, you know, you yourself might have a bridge to work to in your day job. Now, what well, we're creating groups, you know, we're, 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 I wouldn't say we're making this up as we go along, but it's that kind of free-form organic process. And that is the driver. That's the thing that makes you go the extra mile. Because um, if, if you don't love it, then you're never going to succeed. You have to love it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I mean, anytime you're talking about any type of game, doesn't matter if it's board game or card game, especially with the miniatures game, like, it, it, it's, it's always an interaction. Just the fact that there's an investment, you know, from the player's standpoint. It's not just a matter of, I went out and bought a box. They're also investing their time to paint it, their, their time to go to the store and play, their time to make terrain. So there's, there's so much that's involved in that if you it's just, what are you doing? Yeah. That goes back to what we were talking about before. You know, this is, it's your hobby time, and you know we all, all four of us, you know, are hugely invested in this hobby. Have been for a long time. So, what would we invest in? What would what would be worth our dollars? And you know, that was how John and I approached this game. What, what would actually be worth our dollars? What would we want to see on the tabletop? And we we figured because because we kind of spent we spend at the premium end of the market, unfortunately, um, and certainly unfortunately for our partners. Um, you know, we, we, we both put a high quality threshold, and so we wanted to, to make the same thing for our own game. Yeah, we, I mean, it, there are things that are universal. We, we've covered the fact that, you know, Cy and I kind of more of the spend a bit extra for the resin, and, and we completely respect the guys that are happy to just, you know, push figures around a, a, a tabletop. But, we, you know, talking about Infinity, Infinity figures are amazing. I mean, they're metal, but they're as good as most resin out there. Um, and, you know, we've learned that not everyone is like us. Some people have different value propositions for different materials. But then there are things that are universal. Everybody likes good communication on Kickstarter. You know, so we've tried to make sure that we've been open and honest. When we've made mistakes, we've, we've publicly said, you know what, we've made a mistake, we've changed it now. Uh, when we've done something we think has gone right, we've said it. Um, it's those kind of universal things, you know, we, we backed a lot of Kickstarters between us, and we know the things that we, we really appreciate from Kickstarter, and so we know the things that piss us off, and we try to avoid the latter and do as much as possible with the former. And where we get things wrong, or we slightly misjudge stuff, you know, we hold our hands up, say, you know, we're learning, and uh, we'll, we'll try and do it right. Right. So that's a good lesson for anybody out there that's thinking about Kickstarter's miniature team this year. Do more communication with the community. Do less to piss them off. 
It's, yes, it's, it's that simple. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> it really is that simple. It is. I mean, that's, that, that sounds jokingly simple, but how many times have you waited kind of a week or two weeks for, for feedback from a company where something's gone wrong and they're getting hammered on the comment section and you're at that point where you're like, I know it's gone tits up, but just tell me where you are and, and what's happening rather than silence. And, you know, established companies with successful uh, campaigns under their belt get it wrong and don't communicate with people. So, like, you, it sounds so simple that we all laugh, but, like, a lot of people won't, won't front up and say, you know what, uh, our Chinese manufacturer haven't got back to us and we don't know when they're going to. Like, in our case, we have everything is manufactured in the UK, but when we have had things haven't worked out, we tell people because people would rather know. Yeah. It's always best to say, hey, you know what, guys, we, we did a small cut this model and it just turned out like absolute dog shit, so we went back to the drawing board. And most people. Yeah, we might clamber the language up over that. Well, we, we, we're actually looking at. So, one of the things that came across from. Uh, and in fact, we, we, we posted this out in the comments section, actually. A lot of people were sort of saying they like. They kind of like the initial sort of the concept of the, of the Kodiak Walker from UNM, that the Kodiak Tactical Heavy, heavy Bro. But a few people were sort of suggesting that we could maybe make the sculpt a little bit more dynamic. Um, and so rather than us just saying, well, look, this is the, we've already sculpted, this is what you're getting, um, we thought, well, actually, what, what, why can't we do this that sculpt? Is there any reason why we couldn't? Well, yeah, okay, this is, you know, it's going to cost a little bit of extra money, so maybe I'm going to look at that. But if this is, this is the feedback that we're getting, it would be remiss of us to not listen to that feedback because this is coming from the people that have given us their hard-earned money and want to see the scale succeed. So, you know, you, you, you do well to listen to those people. Do they, they are community. Yes, very much so. Yeah, it, I mean, that, I think that's, you're, you're right on that. That is one thing a lot of Kickstarters do as well, is they don't listen to the community. They keep pushing forward with their product. And somebody might say, hey, you know what, guys, that salt just, you know, it's not holding up the rest of the month. If you've got that one guy in Kickstarter singing it, you can't just write him off. So once you get into the mass market, it's not just going to be that one guy. It's going to be that's right. 100, 200, 300. Suddenly you have a sculpt that's just dead. Or you got a sculpt that's just turning people off the game. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I think and it's not just, it isn't just Kickstarter. You know, this is, when was the last time like you phoned up like, you know, a repair company or you, know, you want to call out a plumber or something like that and they, you know, they don't get so many calls or you, know, you phone up the bank and you've left on hold for an hour. Like, that's not, you know, that's not good customer service. You know, it's not nobody nobody likes to be left waiting and, and Kickstarter is no different. You you have to you have to treat it professionally and you have to treat the people pledging their money with courtesy and with decency. I think it's sort of it's sort of the thing coming back to like, you know, our age and where we are at the moment. I think if I was in my mid twenties, I might dig my heels and say, you know, you, you know what, we put effort in, we like this sculpt, we're gonna stick it, you know, screw you guys what you know. And now we're, we're really not precious about this. I mean, it is an absolute passion project for the two of us. And, you know, someone came in and said, you know, that piece of fiction that you produced for this character was, you know, uh, to use your, your term, dog shit. Um, that would, it, I mean, that, that would, be, yeah, I mean, that would, that, that, that hurt. But like, you can't, I mean, thankfully that hasn't happened with fiction yet. I mean, I'm sure it, as the game gets bigger, it will at some point. But um, we're not we're not saying oh you're wrong. Uh, you know when people give us constructive feedback, we're like well you know we've done that to other people. You know we, we've given constructive feedback to, to campaigns that we backed, and we're not douchebags. We've done it because you know we cared about it. We put money in. We're saying oh you know I think we're getting better if you do this, and you know the backers are I mean, actually amazing. I mean it sounds a bit cheesy saying so, but you know I've never been in a position where people have paid for something I've produced and it's genuinely humbling reading comments from people who are, you know, you, you've got your kind of super backers who are always on the forum answering each other's questions on your behalf. And like, those guys are just awesome. I mean, they've, they've backed your projects, they've put money where their mouth is, they're really into the game. Um, you know, we're going to engage with them as much as possible. Um, well, because we, it, it's a hugely wasted opportunity if we don't. Sure. What, we, what we've actually had is quite interesting. There's, there's a, quite a large percentage, in fact, I need to work out exactly what percentage, but 
quite a large percentage of people, but uh, not only is this their first Kickstarter, but this is their first miniatures game. And that has absolutely blown us away. Um, that, that people are, you know, so intrigued by this game, by the experience of this game, that this is going to be their entry into the miniature gaming world. Like, that's... Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're ready to handle that responsibility. Yeah, it's your Yeah. But that, I mean, but it's amazing. Like, that's... And again, like, the word is humbling. Like, it, it is really humbling. You know, I've, I've had, you know, 15 years of working in the video games industry where I've put my product out there, but it's been a product made by, you know, a few hundred people worldwide. This is a product made by, you know, 10, 12 people. Um, it's, it's very different. I mean, it, it feels very personal. And to kind of, to get that feedback is just, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's what keeps you doing it. You guys, I hate to cut this short because I could go on and on and on with you guys for hours on end. It's been nothing but awesome talking to you guys. I'm sure we'll keep this conversation going offline. However, I want to give you guys the next couple of minutes to go ahead and plug your Kickstarter a little bit more. Give some people a little bit of an idea of what they should expect. We've got three days to go. It's already funded. But, damn it, I want to see more people playing this game. <laughs> I mean, cheers, Matt. It's been a great chat. So, I mean, I don't know what we have covered effectively. Give it a go. You know, we've, we've made the rules completely free to, free, uh, they will always be free to download on our website. You know, we're massive awesome. The game is Shattered Earth. You can Google it and find it. You know, you don't need us to spell out exact URLs. Um, the, we've published, uh, you know, you can see photos of the actual miniatures we've made. You know, we've done a full production run on most of the mini, so you can you can just see what the product will look like. You can play the game. I mean, we're still in, uh, you know, alpha rule set at the moment, and it will continue undergoing playtesting. Um, and then we've put out some fiction, you know, we've put out probably one or two long pieces. We'll probably put a couple more out before the end of the campaign. Uh, we've got a bunch of short kind of intro pieces, so you can see the style of our writing, the kind of the scale of the game that we're going for. Um, if you have questions, you can look on there and see. You know, we've answered. I mean, as you said, there's only two of us, but we've tried to answer every single question. When people said it'd be nice to hear a bit about this, a bit about that, we've got back to them. So, you know, I guess have a look. You know, if you like the look of the art, if you like sound fiction, if you've got questions. It's almost certain that within a couple of days, one of us will get back to you. Because, uh, you know, we're just, we're just uh, grateful for, you know, this small community building up. And we figure there's no there's no way of cheating this. There's no quick way. What our plan is, is deliver, you know, great minis, great rule set, you know, a really interesting backstory. And if they all are good, people will want to play the game and the game will grow. You know, we're not going to try and a hard sell or, you know, special offers, hard price or anything. We're just going to say, here's our products. Hopefully people will like it. And if people like it, they'll buy it. But, you know, they'll tell their friends that it'll grow organically. You know, Cyanide will be able to continue turning this hobby into a job, hire our guys instead of, you know, having it on contract form. And, you know, we're in it for long term. We want to be talking to you guys in, in 10 years and seeing you at a, you know, adapt upon Gen Con with our, you know, our, you know, rule set version three or version four, whatever that is. That's, that's our aim. So. Si, anything else you want to add in there, Matt? All I, all I would say is we've got, we've got three days left. Um, if you are on the fence, there is a £1 pledge level you can back at. And a few, uh, last week we unlocked um, the Softback Mini Rulebook, um, which is available with all pledges. So literally, you can go ahead and pledge a pound and you get a rulebook. And then, you know, you, you make your choice there. You, you know, you, you're not willing to you know, there's a lot of kickstarts out there at the moment. If you're not willing to, to maybe, you know, step over the line and pledge your money towards it, that's cool. But we want you to be part of our community anyway, because this is a, as, you know, as John has said, and I've said countless times tonight, you know, we, this is an awesome community that we've got. We want everybody to be a part of it and just help us grow this game. So please, you know, just, just jump on board. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Very well. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and I've been really enjoying the show. Like I can say I've got too many podcasts to listen to, but I'm just you just bumped like I don't know the Kimo film show off my weekly list because I know I have to listen to a couple hours of you guys every week, which is <laughs> good, I think. But uh, yeah, well done on the show. Yeah, I mean, what four or five days.
already essentialist discouragements. So for everybody out there listening, again, go to kickstarter.com, check out Shattered Earth by Massive Awesome. Three days left. Back it, play it, enjoy it. Guys, it was great having you on. Talk to you later. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks a lot.